Welcome to Garden People with your host, Jill Sowards of Violet Ear Studio. Join us each season as we speak with your favorite garden people, designers, florists, growers, naturalists, chefs, artists, and more about how gardens have shaped their lives and informed their work today with seasonal tips, expert recommendations, and lots and lots of plants. To learn more, go to our website at violetearstudio.com. You'll find episode information, our seasonal journal, class list, and seed offerings. Everything you need to start your own garden story. My guest is Lucy Hunter, a multi-hyphenate if there ever was one. Garden designer, florist, stylist, photographer, teacher, author, botanical dyer, the list goes on. Lucy is based in North Wales in the UK and is, at root, a restless creative who is always adding to her list of projects and modes of expression. She shows us how useless labels can be in creative life and how generous our output becomes when we do away with them. Her book, The Flower Hunter, Seasonal Flowers Inspired by Nature and Gathered from the Garden, was published in November of 2021. I was fortunate enough to attend a workshop with Lucy, Gabriella Salazar, and Max Gill this past March and saw firsthand her creative force at play. Her energy engagement with attendees and their work was simply amazing, and I'm so happy to be able to welcome her here today. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us on Garden People. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. And so I wanted to begin just by asking you to describe yourself and your work, how you characterize what it is you do. Oh my goodness. That's a really difficult question, Jill, because people like to, I think, put you into sorts of bubbles that they understand. And I guess for 20 years, I've been a landscape designer. And I probably feel the most comfortable saying that because I've just done it for such a long time. But I'm, in the last five years, my work has kind of sort of grown, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Or I've become restless and more yeah. curious about other things. So Instagram sort of came into my life. And the floristry, the floral world has always been there. It's always been a huge part of, you know, I was a gardener originally and then became a landscape designer and but I guess the landscape design sort of took me down. A, I stopped looking at the floral, which sounds ridiculous because floral is such a huge part of being a landscape designer. Mm-hmm. You know, it needs to be. But when your jobs become quite big, it becomes like any business. It's about running that business, you know, running the lads on site, getting them to build what you want them to build, managing your clients' expectations, looking at construction diagrams, lighting diagrams, rather than actually looking at what it was that took me into the landscape in the first place, which was the flowers. Um, So after a particularly huge job that took four years to construct, um, I was pretty burnt out and thought, gosh, where do I go from here? And my sister said, actually, I'm getting married to her long-term partner and uh, it's going to be a family affair. And why don't you do the flowers? And I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, yeah. I really would like to do that. That I'd really enjoy that. And I thought, well, I've got to become a formally trained florist then to do your flowers, haven't I? You know, because obviously, you know. Yeah. And you so, love learning. <laughs> well, I don't know. I yes, I do love learning, and I do love meeting new people and learning new skills. And I did that, but it was more about feeling at that point that I had to be professionally trained. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise I could have possibly do my It's absolutely ridiculous. But I know that other people struggle with it as well because I've heard, yes. you know, I've heard it. So anyway, I, I went off to a school in London to do a course in floristry and didn't like it at all. <laughs> it was a, a very uh, traditional, I guess, really. And they were using all this floral foam and we did topiary balls on sticks in pots. And I just couldn't understand it at all. 
And I thought, no, no, I want to bring my outside in. I want to bring my garden that I've been in for the last 20 years. I want to try and bring a little essence of that inside. And then I discovered Instagram and all these amazing florists, a lot American, who were actually, you know, really doing this. And it was like, oh, my goodness, yeah, there is. This is a thing I can, you know, maybe this is a, this gives me a bit of a chance to just explore my creativity, which I kind of, in the busyness, ignored you know in the busyness stop looking at sorry this is a very long answer to your question (laughs) so that sort of took me down one rabbit hole and then I decided I wanted to be a wedding florist obviously and that lasted for about two years and I decided actually I'm far too old and no I really don't want to be a wedding florist at all that's (laughs) all new different ball game but I really I really enjoyed sort of the still lives actually that creative moment where I'd be in my studio and completely switched off totally utterly focused on the the flowers in front of me and creating a story with those flowers sort of and developing my photography skills and then that became an enormous rabbit hole and then I started to write and never thought I could write but enjoyed it enjoyed telling these it's all part of that storytelling I guess Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so that sort of continued and lockdown happened and I decided to write a book. And <laughs> so, and I met all these amazing people abroad and did floral workshops. And, you know, so, yeah, what do I do? I sort of run around like a mad thing a lot of the time. Yeah, but I, love it. I love it. So I'm not very good at doing one thing. I get very restless. So it's good. Yeah. And how did you come to landscape design in the beginning? What was that? journey okay so I did a fine art degree when I was at university when I was 18 19 very very many long years ago um so I always had that creativity but that time I think I was very narrow you know blinkered really I thought that after a fine art degree really I either became a graphic designer which at that point I wasn't particularly interested in or a painter you know that's kind of where my imagination (laughs) seemed to stop really and I didn't feel that I was good enough to pursue a a life as a painter. And my mother told me I needed to get a proper job. At that point, a proper job would be behind a desk in an office, answering, you know, whatever. So I sort of pursued that that route, really. And I went to, um, well, I came out of university having wafted around with a paintbrush for three years. It didn't really give me a lot of life skills. But um, anyway, long story short, I ended up working for a bank. it's quite hard to believe now, but I worked for a bank for seven or eight years, corporate, as an underwriter. So I was sort of sat there with the headphones on, just doing the decisions on whether people could afford to have, you know, uh, take out finance. And I absolutely hated it. <laughs> but at the time, you know, it was a means to an end. And, you know, I needed to earn money and it wasn't all bad. You know, I met some great people. Um but it wasn't, certainly wasn't making me happy. Mm-hmm. Certainly wasn't how I saw my my life planning out. But I mean, mm-hmm. I was still pretty young, you know, I was still in my twenties. Yeah. And then eventually I met my husband and we moved from a flat, a tiny flat, into a tiny little cottage slightly out of the city that had this tiny little garden. And I just found myself in this tiny space. And then became obsessed about flowers. So, and just read them and read about them and bought them and killed loads and <laughs> just had my hands in the soil and just, you know, thought, oh my goodness, I need to have some kind of life, surely, where I can be creative. 
and I can be outside. I just want to be outside. I don't want to be in a an office at all. Yeah. At the same time, I had my son. So I was at home with him for, I think I took a career break. So I was at home with him for two years. And a dear friend of mine said, look, I'll have your son when he was, I think, about 18 months. I'll have your son for a couple of days a week. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to go to college, go back to college and do your qualification in garden design. Mm-hmm. And I bit her hands off and I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my son goodbye. And I did that for, oh gosh, it wasn't a huge course, but probably a year, was it? 18 months, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and got my basic qualifications and then basically went and posted some leaflets through the doors of the little village we lived in with a little tiny hand drawn. This was the day before I had any computer really at all. <laughs> no Canva. Absolutely no Canva at all. No social media. I don't even know if I had a mobile phone. Yeah, I think I did have a mobile phone, but you know, we're talking sort of 25 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. And I had one client from that and we actually became really great friends, but it, it was tiny job, tiny job, but it was just the start, you know, and I thought, well, if I, and I'd worked out because t- I'd gone back to work by that point because I needed to work. We needed mm-hmm. more financial income, but because I wanted to be still at home with him before he went to nursery. So mm-hmm. I think I'd cut my hours. So I, you know, I was only working part time. So I worked out that if I could just get one design a month, it would cover what I was doing at the bank. So he sort of man managed both for a little bit and then I thought this is ridiculous and my husband bless him sort of said look go for it you know we've got enough manage we can manage let's go so I did hand him a note in the bank and did that tiny tiny design and then she introduced me to somebody else and and it just grew you know it just didn't become huge overnight at all and I learned so much on the job as well you know rather than doing another degree course which would have cost a huge amount of money and you know three years worth of learning you know I think I learned so I they taught me the business side of garden design they taught me the basics but I already had quite an extensive plant knowledge mm-hmm. through my my own passion anyway and I guess some of that creativity that I had at university sort of helped yeah but and we just kind of muddled through and got some great clients and yeah it went from there yeah that's so wonderful Lucy yeah so I think you just sometimes just have to think well I'm not sure where this is going to go but we're going to give it a go you know because yeah. I don't want to run in 30 years and think oh gosh wish I'd done that well, as I'm sat there typing at the bank hating it <laughs> of course exactly exactly yeah. you shared something earlier and also in your book that I thought was very profound which is how you felt that your sense of worth was tied up to the, the kind of proper job path that you were mm-hmm. following. And then I guess also um, maybe dovetails a little bit with the feeling the need to be properly trained, right? In any, even yeah. a creative endeavor. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how did you untangle those or, or, or is it still a sort of ongoing disentanglement? <laughs> still huge, to be yeah. honest. It's yeah. still, I think it's the way I was brought up and I've been conditioned to feel not in a bad way, don't get me wrong, you know, I've got amazing parents and very supportive, but it was just, it's almost a society's conditions Mm -hmm. to feel guilt, really, guilt if I'm not doing, so for example, if I'm sat at the computer doing a planting plan or I'm trying to do a visual, so so I use, tend to use multimedia with my visuals, that's okay, so the chimp on my shoulder is quite happy with that, but if I go off for a waft in the garden, 
look at some flowers maybe it's okay if I'm doing it because there's a book at the end of it that's a worthwhile pursuit but if I'm just you know that I have to have I can hear that sort of chimp in my head saying well you're not being quite worthwhile with your time are you Lucy you know and and it's never going to go I think I've I've just got to I've learned to bargain with it really you know Mm -hmm. so I sort of think well okay I'm going to do this much on the email and then I'm going to I've I've learned this creative time and you can just be quiet yes because I'm going to go and do it anyway and it is a worthwhile thing and it is so worthwhile because if you don't give yourself that creative time then or personally I find that my creativity just kind of dries up you know I sort of I sort of feel a bit empty really so (laughs) it is hugely worthwhile and that's what we always say you know to our students that come on our our workshops you know this is your time you know this is what you've given yourself for your creativity and it it is part but it's a really tricky one Mm -hmm. it's a really tricky one yeah I don't know if there's a an easy answer really yeah yeah certainly continuing to live with it is right (laughs) as and manage it as you said yeah yeah and you have well you obviously have such a wide array of projects they kind of pass the baton between each other sort of um but it does seem like you're as you were saying your fine arts training is underpins them in a way and so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how some of that training like the color and form and composition how you think it influences your work and then maybe how it if you notice it influencing or or affecting in some way like how you approach projects or arrangements that's a really interesting one actually I think I'm really instinctive rather than I'm not academic. I'm really not academic at all, um, which is absolutely amazing that I ever wrote a book, quite frankly. But I never really think about it too hard. I never think about, right, I'm setting up this floral still life and I'm thinking about composition. It just, I just seem to do it. But obviously that is in me. And I think that has obviously come from my, I have grasped something from those student days Though I suspect when I was a student, I probably wasn't listening quite as hard as I should. <laughs> yeah. Probably drinking far too much. Yeah. Just a student, basically. Right. So you would never find me sat down reading a book about composition, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, or yeah. These, these heavy art tomes at all. But I would sit and look at a painting mm-hmm. and think well what is it about this painting that I like what is it that is drawing me mm-hmm. and actually give that some thought is it the light that um, the light and the shadow is it that that I'm drawn to is it the negative space that I find attractive is it the just the simplicity of the lines so maybe I'm just constantly constantly questioning it constantly mm-hmm. and outside as well the landscape you know influences me hugely whether it's the the light from the coast whether it's the scale and proportion of the mountains where I live whether it's the the sort of the the chaos the chaos of the countryside of the wild meadows or whether it's the sort you know or so I don't know am I not answering your question at all no no no, you you absolutely are you absolutely are no it sounds just as you said it sounds yeah you have this very intuitive approach and it's almost you have an analytical side where you're sort of able to 
sit and look for those patterns. And maybe, I don't know if the fine arts training gave you the vocabulary a little bit, but you're, it's much more, yeah, you, you're willing to sort of take the time and your observation, I think, to sort yeah. of figure out what the pieces are and then apply it to your own, yeah, I to think your own so. work. I think so. And I think, you know, that, I hate to say it, but I think age as well, you know, in that, I don't know, I seem to notice more now. I don't have any more time. I probably have less time now really to sit and stare than I've ever had in my life, really. And I'm not moaning about that. That's just the way way it yeah. is. But I think ages, you know, I just I notice more things. Maybe I just see things again and again. So it's repetitive or I've learned from other people. Maybe that's just, you know, and each all of the little different threads that are my story are now starting to rather than sort of all wafting around all over the place. They are starting to sort of create a bit of a, a tapestry, really, I guess, yeah. which informs me all the time. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but I was thinking about your your path and I was wondering if you thought you would have ended up here had you sort of pursued a fine arts, you know, the, one of the jobs that you thought was more yeah. closely aligned with the fine arts degree. That's really interesting. I've never really thought about it. No, yeah. <laughs> basically. No, I don't think I would because I think, oh gosh, I think I've changed so much since I was an 18 year old for a start. Mm-hmm not changed as in my personality so much just I'm not academic and I was always told that I wasn't academic at school and I think things have changed you know in the 30 35 (laughs) things have changed a lot I think you know teaching has changed but then it was very much you know I was slightly dyslexic I struggled with things like times tables I struggled with spelling I struggled with the things that were the tick boxes at school yeah that, you know, sort of set you on the career of having this proper career of being a doctor or being, you know, mm-hmm. that worthwhile, which I wanted to be, you know, I, I wanted that, what I saw as success, as success at the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I don't think I gave myself much hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a bit sad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's a strange one, really. Yeah. Well, I don't know Ask me in 10 years. Okay. (laughs) Well, just as you said, the conditioning is, yeah, it's not, it's hard to determine. It's like, do I feel this way? Or is this something that someone told me about, you know, yeah, about myself? Yeah, I think, and I think that's really true, actually. The real me is now out. Yeah. I feel that I'm the happiest in my career that I've ever been in my life. Yeah. You know, I feel really, and I feel that it's the busiest and it's the most, it's most exciting point. And there's so many opportunities and, you know, which is amazing. Um, had I thought I would be here 10 years ago no absolutely not yeah Um, so you can just never tell can you yeah yeah well and speaking of your work one of Mm -hmm. the things that you write about is both in your in your books and I've seen it elsewhere is the the you sort of your work honoring the British landscape and hearkening back to the 20th century and you referenced the Bloomsbury group which is which is uh, close to my heart and so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what speaks to you about this epoch and how it's represented in your work it's that time of sort of elegance and grace when everything seemed to be less to me, and I'm sure it wasn't actually that time at all, but it just seemed to be, well, it probably depended how much money you had really and what position <laughs> society you lived in was, didn't it? And I'm sure it was really pretty brutal actually, but the Bloomsbury group obviously were hugely more affluent and, you know, having a really very nice time. Thank you very much. Um, there was that whole kind of style, I guess, is that, easy just easy sort of I guess maybe it's what I want to yeah 
be like yeah you know just sort of non-cluttered just kind of you know casually kind of easy go yeah yeah Yeah. actually it's not my life at all but but it's what I really really would like it to be (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's what I'm trying to portray in my images is this kind of you know sort of paired back kind of timeless glamour slightly yeah. but not not blingy not you know right. showy just kind of that effortless you know yeah I think because yeah that's what I'd like yeah. my life to be like yeah. <laughs> and and you're painting on the walls just like at Charleston <laughs> Well, no, yeah, but <laughs> not at all. But yeah, that was lockdown for you. Right. <laughs> and can you describe a little bit about your gardening space today? I love your section in your book on growing flowers and sort of how you, yeah, you, you have a specific approach that, that works with this busy life. <laughs> oh, well, it has to. So we moved here about 10 years ago and the place had been left for, gosh, 30 years. So nature had really reclaimed it. And it, it was very beautiful. So, but we had to, I mean, literally hack through the brambles to get mm-hmm. to the front door. So we had to clear quite a lot. How big is the space that you're... Had to the whole, the whole ha- the house is sort of sat in about an acre, but okay. I probably garden on probably half an acre. Okay. So not, it's not huge, but I had, as I, when I moved in before, sort of, I discovered the flowers, you know, I sort of had this illusions of grandeur that I'd have this most incredible sort of garden I could just waft around, you know, but... yeah. But life's reality hits and, you know, <laughs> bills to pay and, and clients to see. So I actually spend most of my life looking at other people's gardens, really. So some of the flower beds had to come out and we pushed it back to lawn, though we're leaving more of the lawn to grow, mm-hmm. you know, wild now and long, which my husband's really pleased about because it's <laughs> him to mow. But, but it's, it's actually, you can really see a difference in the garden with the wildlife mm-hmm. coming in and everything, which is fabulous. Okay. And then I've got an area to one side of the kitchen where you sort of can spill out and that's that's got a few trees and quite a few pots and that's kind of my sort of potter space, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I've got flowers that, because I don't, really don't like picking my flowers in the garden. Yeah. Because, you know, I've spent all this time trying to get them to look fab and then I don't, I don't want to pick them. I yeah. want to enjoy them in the garden. But I do want flowers for inside. Right. So I've got an area the other side. We made some sort of raised beds from some reclaimed timber we had and filled those with the soil. And I mean, there's not many. I mean, there's four raised, quite big raised beds. And I grow oh, loads and loads of roses because I just adore roses. Mm-hmm. And then I grow quite a few annuals. So Rebecca's, which I love. But it's so cold here, really. And it's really cold this year. But everything takes quite a long time to get going or it's yeah. that. so September tends to be the best you know even yeah. sweet peas are still sort of you know doing their thing in yeah. September um so yeah so I mean I grow what I know I can grow here I've got a tiny little greenhouse we grow tomatoes because we adore eating tomatoes you know mm-hmm. so we sort of grow I grow vegetables that I know we will actually eat yeah a few pretty ones as well that might be yeah. nice. But then if I need any huge amounts of flowers, then I'll go to my friend's flower farm. She's in the book, Carol's yeah. Garden, and she lives about an hour away. She only flowers. She only gardens on about an acre, but she is incredibly good at it and gets yeah. an awful lot in. So, yeah, I go there with my bucket and cut her flowers instead. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah. And what is your sort of daily or weekly garden practice? How often are you out there? 
oh gosh, it's a bit of a scattergun approach, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. So it's what time I have. So it tends to be, we tend to garden all, if we're, you know, around at the weekend, which we tend to try to be, you know, we'll both be out in the weekend. And that's kind of just made, you know, this time of year, we're trying to just keep on top of the vines weed, which is hideous. We've sort of come to an agreement with the rest of the weeds, you know, yeah. a bit of agreement going on there. And I sort of potter in the greenhouse. Um, husband cuts the lawn. We don't cut the hedges yet because the birds are still nesting. So, yeah. but we'll, you know, we'll cut those later in the year. That's quite a big job. But I've tried to make it really as maintenance, you know, as easy. It's nothing, no gardens maintenance free, but just easy. So mm -hmm. we enjoy it rather than yeah. running yeah. around like mad people because we run around like mad people a week. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And as a garden designer, or in, I guess in any of your many labels, if we can put them on you, what do you look for in a garden? Do you have any favorite gardens? Oh, gosh, yes, lots. Places like, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard of Great Dixter mm -hmm, yeah. and, you know, Sissinghurst and Kiffsgate is mm -hmm. beautiful. I love gardens that don't take themselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. I love formality. I tend to, when I design, I tend to design architecturally with quite, quite architectural structures to quite clean lines but then I love the flowers you know to completely soften all the edges and I, I like gardens to have a feeling that they've been there forever even if they haven't been there forever but they completely take reference to where they're sat within the landscape so most of my work I mean I do have quite a big project in London at the minute but most of my work tends to be in the country rather than in a city so I'm sort of constantly looking at the view beyond and how we can borrow that view beyond or you know what grows naturally in the area that we can take reference from really but I like gardens to feel comfortable that you can just sit and be right yeah and a good for the wildlife obviously yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> not too many sharp edges <laughs> No, no, exactly. No, not too many sharp edges at all. Right. And when you spoke earlier about your the sort of burnout experience after one of your big jobs, is that something that you manage now, or if you're able to manage now with through your creative practice, or is it something about your approach in your work, like the actual project itself? Is there a way that you are able to kind of... I'm still trying to manage it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think... I have to be quite strict. I really do try not to work at the weekend. Mm -hmm. I really do try to not answer emails and messages and phone calls. And I really do try and give myself a time, whether it's the weekend or, or at some point every week, something to go and actually enjoy the flowers, you know, in the cutting beds and bring them inside. You know, I sort of look at these roses that are now just doing that ultimate thing and thinking I've really got to do something with you because you're just beautiful and I need to capture that yeah um, but sometimes you know I get the great pleasure so the minute because um obviously you know summer is sort of getting lighter half four so yeah. we don't have any curtains in our bedroom so we like wake up with the natural light which I really love so I'm usually awake for half five to be honest and I love that time of day you know, when everything else is sleeping and I'll grab myself a coffee and I'll just go and sit with my camera, which is the best time to photograph anyway, or take the dogs who are very excited at that time in the morning to go for, a, you know, <laughs> for a walk. And that, that's really important to me, that actually, that space, that just, you know, when I fit, because I sort of almost feel that the rest of the world is sleeping, which obviously then, you know, the rest of the world yeah. is sleeping. So 
there's no demands on me you know mm-hmm. I don't have to do anything this is just my time and it might only be for an hour but that then I'm usually good then to go I'm usually exhausted by five right <laughs> <laughs> by seven right, right. I've been up so early but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh that's wonderful it sounds like also the the kind of monkey on your back is not is not up either because there's nothing else no. right no no one else is up then, so. definitely asleep still that's yeah that's great no we've got that agreement yeah agree no yes I think that's it's funny isn't it I never feel guilty yeah I never yeah. I never feel guilty at half five in the morning mm-hmm. it's like it's bizarre I yeah. wish I understood it better anyway never mind <laughs> well, it seems like it has to do a little bit with almost like the virtues that we feel about being up early. You know, like you've already, you've done, you're right. This is a, you've done such a good thing by being up early. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not slovenly yeah, in bed and, you know, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 So there, yeah. <laughs> that's another society thing, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. So my son, my teenager, who now is not a teenager anymore, yeah. um, has no problem with this at all. With right. bed. Absolutely <laughs> no guilt whatsoever. And yeah. I just think, oh, actually, I really envy you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. You didn't pass on whatever the, some of the, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Definitely okay. not. So this seems like this is kind of the creative time that you make for yourself. Is there any other, do you ever feel like you need to sort of carve out more than an hour in order to complete a project or, I mean, so how do you fit that in? Well, sleep is, oh, yeah, I've given yeah. up sleep completely. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's out <laughs> yeah no sleep so when I was doing the book um obviously you know you have deadlines and publishers that need that stuff so and I guess because somebody was demanding it of me I, it was important enough to carve that time out and I yeah. I loved it yeah. because I I really enjoyed doing it but that was allowed because that was an obvious deadline right. so yeah if my week is manic then the first thing that will unfortunately one of the first things that goes is Instagram right which I then feel guilty about because actually Instagram has given me all these opportunities really that I'm now experiencing so Mm -hmm. I sort of feel that I should continue to feed that Mm -hmm. and it is important you know and I don't want to upset all my lovely followers who have been so amazing but it's the part of my brain that I have to be able to sit and think for a while you know to be able to write so that that has kind of got a bit lost really um over the last few months but we'll try we'll try and get it back (laughs) wonderful I'm looking forward to it (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's good to to take breaks too (laughs) yes no I know that's a good idea are there any through lines in terms of flowers from your that you continue to kind of incorporate into your garden now or other gardens I mean my parents didn't garden I mean we had lawn we had a quite a big not a big garden we had a, a standard sort of suburban because we lived in southeast London when I grew up so we had a sort of semi-detached you know sort of regular garden but I mean they didn't garden I mean they both worked full time and had no interest really but my grandmother my paternal grandmother gardened I remember her garden and the flowers so I remember the big shaggy Shasta daisies from mm-hmm. her garden and I remember the big Shirley poppies that she used to adore that would fall off over you know over after yeah. you know completely useless but you know she adored I don't actually remember roses in her garden but roses remind me of her mm-hmm. and the scent I think it's the scent scent is such such an evocative thing isn't it yes yeah. you know really huge so 
and you, it makes me smile. You know, if you see people that walking past, they just can't resist burying their nose and yeah. nose when they at all. You know, so um, I think that's why I grow those, and I and I do grow poppies, and I do grow the shaggy daisies. So um, yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> that just reminded me of my grandparents had box bushes in their garden and when I was reading about the box blight in in the UK I was thinking about how much that scent is evocative of their home to me and how that must be such a loss of sort of the summer scent for for so many different areas of the the country as it sort of spreads yeah yeah box blights are terrible yeah but I heard something fascinating the other day um, from uh, I've got a nursery, a whole you know a big wholesale nursery that I use for my you know if I'm bringing in trees or topiaries or just perennials or whatever um, down in London. And they saw so he, he's a real horticulturalist, my guy there. And uh, he said that they've just figured out that jackdaws mm-hmm. like you know the box caterpillar that defoliates pots. Oh. They're eating them. They've discovered yeah. them. they're really, really tasty. Oh, um, wow. so and jackdaws are so clever, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I thought, oh, that's that's just amazing. Oh, that's so, so exciting. Uh, yeah. So leave nature, you see. Yeah. We don't interfere. Nature sorts itself out. Absolutely. Right. It's like keep your soil healthy. Keep your exactly. bring nature in, and yeah. yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's you know, on the one hand, think how. How terrible but also maybe a huge learning experience and sort of open oh, window exactly. for a lot of people yeah no exactly so I was like oh thank you for telling me that yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's great and so your your book which was published last year is absolutely gorgeous and oh. so I um, was wondering if you could share a little bit about the process and hearing you speak right now I'm so startled to hear that you don't cons- we're surprised that you were a writer because it's such a, sort of my almost I loved the images but almost my favorite part was the the essays it's so content rich it has such a beautiful way of jumping between you know different learnings it's kind of one of the I always love a garden book that I can keep at my bedside you know to like dip into and so this is a this is primo bedside book time oh, that's amazing thanks so much <laughs> yeah I mean I think I never I never thought about writing but I started writing my Instagram and I think that's why you know anybody that doesn't follow my Instagram posts or ha- hasn't done I haven't done them as recently but I always used to rock, I used to witter I would call it I used to witter with my Instagram posts you know about my family basically and the garden but and my my life with my family in the garden you know and just everyday life with dogs and right. kids <laughs> and I I don't write in a you know I'm not wordy I just sort of write as I see it really yeah. and people used to love it so that's why I think in, going back to the Instagram is why it's because I just you haven't got the brain space at the minute just to yeah. write that so I kind of always wrote and people said oh you should write a book you should write a book and that's ridiculous and but the thing was that I couldn't get my head around was how so my wittering about my family and my dogs did had no relation whatsoever to the pictures that I was putting yeah. <laughs> you know there was no sort of thing at all yeah. so I was like yeah okay well I'll write a book but what do I write it about you know yeah. but then in lockdown Obviously, we all had a lot more time to, you know, most of most of us to think about things. And I was like, oh, do you know, I really would like to write a book. And I had a got a friend who I don't know if you know her, Rachel Ashwell, who mm-hmm. I think she's just moved back from LA, where she's been for the last thirty years with her shop, the Shabby Sheep Shop. Mm-hmm. 
she featured me in her book she wrote a few years ago uh, called My Floral Affair. And we've sort of kept in touch and became great friends. And uh, she contacted, she was in England for the first lockdown and she contacted me just as we were coming out and said, oh, could I just come and see you? You know, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Come and, come and have a few days wafting, you know, just come and, come and say hi. And uh, while she was here, I just said, oh, you know, Rachel, what do you think? I've been, you know, is this a completely mad idea? But I've been thinking about writing. Oh, yes, you absolutely must. She said, yeah, write a book. She said, I'll introduce you to my publisher. So that happens. And I met the publisher of Ryland, Peter Small and Cindy. And uh, yeah, sort of about six weeks later, suddenly I had a deadline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so actually, it was a really short deadline. I think I got my contract, signed my contract in late September, beginning of the October 2020. Yeah. And I had to have it completely finished by the February 21. So actually, that was the best thing. I had no time to think about it. The chimp had no time yeah. to <laughs> give me any grief at all. It was just, oh my goodness, I've got 20. 5,000 words to write and shed loads of photographs and we're locked down and I can't go anywhere I don't but there's no point in moaning about it I've just got to get on with it and do it and that was the best thing ever yeah and it really helps me most amazing editor Mm. Annabelle and art director Leslie and we worked really well together and it was lovely because they I felt they'd really kept my voice you know they really Mm -hmm. didn't try and change it you know they you know they had suggestions and Annabelle was great at being able to see how you know she could have moved things around so they sort of flowed better you know mm-hmm. which was fabulous but they didn't change my words you know yeah. they kept, which I I don't think that always happens yeah. so I think yeah. I was really lucky with that yeah it was very short and very sweet but I did enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> wonderful well maybe there's I also was like well maybe if there's another lockdown you'll have more time no I don't want that but I would I would you know if you if you have another if you have a a short deadline fast project no no chimp you know time okay. again it would be wonderful <laughs> okay right. I'd love, love to see anything that you that you have and I was wondering if there's anything that sort of inspires you today that you take inspiration from whether they be gardens or books or or anything else that you're sort of drawing from gosh lots of things really I'm hugely inspired by objects I'm a slight collector I do mm-hmm. have a yep. collecting problem I need to get my head around that my dad's an antique dealer has been an antique dealer for most of his life so I've sort of grown up with that kind of and I guess that's going back to the whole Bloomsbury thing as well I guess yeah. that kind of style has always been sort of what I've grown up with so yeah. but I, I adore objects um I'm always outside I'm very yeah I'm, I'm very rarely inside so I mean how can you not be inspired by the landscape yeah if you stop and actually look at it, you know, and I'm hugely inspired by other people, people, you know, other florists and other artists that I've met, mainly really through Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some really, really, you know, influential people, you know, my dear friend, Gabriella, mm-hmm. I met her through Instagram and Max, mm-hmm. Max Gill. They've all had such a big influence on how I see the world, not just flowers, but how I see my world, I guess, and, and yeah. you know, my part in it. And I hope that continues. You know, I hope I continue to, because I think it's great now that the world's opened up again, you right. know, travelling. Um, it's you know, I love doing the workshops and yeah. meeting, uh, you know, I love the guests and everything. You know, everybody brings something to the party, don't they? So. Yeah. And you mentioned being self-taught in your, in your book life mm-hmm. or as you're reading about the garden. Do you have any favourite books that you kind of set you on your path or that, that you recommend to anyone I'm reading at the minute 
well, I'm on my second read of Rewilding by Isabella mm -hmm. Tree, yeah. which is enormously inspirational. And The Secret Life of Trees as well. Yes. Um, fabulous book. You know, so they sort of other two, you know, my other kind of switch off from the crime drama and go and read actually something that just sort of makes you stop and really, really think about yeah. you know, things. And then, yeah, I've got one of the lovely, actually, one of the nice things about becoming an author is that then everybody, all the other publishing houses, then send you books then to mm -hmm. review. So uh, <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So just who I got now on my thing, I've got Millie Prouse's uh, yes. Seeds Bloom. So that's rather wonderful. I'm planning my way through that. And then I was wondering what the upcoming season looks like for you. Are there any tasks or activities or traditions that you have or any any new projects on the future on the horizon my landscape work has gone bonkers because I think everybody looked at their gardens for two years yes their spaces and thought gosh we really need to make the most of this which is amazing so and I'm lucky enough to have some really amazing projects so mm -hmm. um, I've got uh, one in Seattle and um, with the wonderful couple over there yeah it's quite a long way away so I don't yeah. get over there very often I've got one in France. I've got quite a few close by, you know, where I yeah. live in in the north of England, um, one in London. So that's, yeah, that's keeping me out of mischief. That's keeping me very busy. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, I love that. I've got um, a workshop coming up with Gabriella, who's coming here. I saw so that. Yeah. So oh, she's not being here. So that will be really nice. It's just going to be really small because it's just in my studio. So. You know, so that's going ahead. And then and a day actually at uh, Carol, my friend's Carol's a great garden with Gabriella as well, which should be amazing because it's such a beautiful garden. And then I'm hoping to come back to the States in October. Great. Maybe to New York. I'm not sure if I'm going to come quite as far as San Francisco in October, but the year after, definitely. Okay, well. um, yeah, I'm sure there's lots of other things I've forgotten, but yeah. <laughs> that's fine. That's all. That's wonderful. <laughs> The question that I ask everyone is, based on your experiences with gardening, how do you think we can bring more people into the garden? Well, being open, showing how beautiful it is. I mean, I think, you know, just by sharing beauty on the social media, as I know I moan about it, but, you know, yeah. I, I love it. as I have a love-hate relationship with it. But, I mean, you know, if you can sort of put out there these really aspirational, but not not aspirational and expensive, but just beautiful, just mm -hmm. nature. It's, you know, and I think people are coming in back into the garden. I think people are interested in it. And I think, you know, some of my clients, you know, I've designed their garden and I can tell you sort of 15 years ago, you would design a garden and you'd finish it and it would look lovely. And you'd think, mm, I'm not sure it's going to look lovely in 10 years because, you know, the garden's never finished. It has to be then taken on to the next stage and the next stage. Yeah. But now my clients are so involved. They want to garden. They want to be out there. Um, that's really joyful. So yeah. I'm hopeful. Yes, I'm very hopeful that people will find the garden just by us gently luring them. Luring yeah. them in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a jackdaw and a caterpillar. Exactly, <laughs> exactly yeah. Yeah, they don't know what they're missing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And certainly your book and your 
Instagram are such great lures. So wonderful to have it. I'm sure, I'm sure many people have engaged, if not with the garden directly, at least with some urns <laughs> because yes. of your work. I definitely was like, I need a lot more large format pottery <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Everybody needs a large format pottery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mind you, they're very heavy when you put a water. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's the yeah. I saw sort of like faux ones. I was like, no, no, no. I need like, you know, I want authentic. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh my God. No, no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're going to authentic. Yeah. But yeah, just put it somewhere where it never needs to be right, exactly I was like, it can only be managed in situ yeah you have to have all the <laughs> like i'm not yeah. t- i guess i won't be carrying this from the sink counter to the chair yeah, you know? <laughs> they want a hernia no, no exactly <laughs> well thank you so so much this has been such a pleasure thanks jim thank you so much for listening garden people is produced with generous support from our sponsor plant gem plant gem sells unique plants you won't find anywhere else for a garden that reflects your personal style Find them at www.plantgem.com. As always, thank you for supporting the companies that support this podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you left a review as it helps other garden people find us. You'll find links for everything we've discussed in the show notes or on our website. To get early access to our guest list and information about bonus episodes, gardening tips from our guests, and more, sign up for the newsletter at violetearstudio.com.